Father, that's our prayer this morning, God, that as we look at your word and what it says about your son, God, that we would behold you, that we'd get a new vision for who Jesus is, Lord, maybe a renewed vision, God, on who he is and what he has done and how he loves us. Father, would you speak to us now by your spirit? We give this time to you in Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Good morning, church. My name is Jared Jenkins. For those of you that are new to Risen Life, I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And, you know, as we heard in our announcements, we got a lot going on here at Risen Life over these last couple of days. Had a great campfire last night. For those of you that joined us up there, Tono said he had to take two showers to get all the smoke off of him. And we had like 200 hot dogs and like 26 left. It was quite, a, quite an event. So... Uh, also had a wedding of Faye and Grayson yesterday that I was able to perform and be with them yesterday, but just encourage you to get on the Church Center app and see all what is going on and be a part of it. And as you guys have heard, this week we're, we're starting the, a series in the book of Hebrews, and this is going to take us all the way through January, actually, because we think there's so much good things to be seen in Hebrews that we want to take our time to go through it uh, and do it well. And so I'd encourage you to grab your Bibles. You can open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. It's eight books before Revelation, and all those books are pretty short. So it's really kind of just at the back of your Bible. <clears throat> and I really, I love this book. This is one of my favorite books. I think you even could feel it this morning as we read Hebrews 1. All the amazing things. This is an amazing chapter that tells us so much about who Jesus is and how to live in light of who he is. And also, if you'll notice, if you read Hebrews, Hebrews is like a sermon. In fact, it is a sermon. And so I'd encourage you over the next many weeks as we look at it to take some time to set aside and, and read it all the way through. Let it, let it speak to you like a whole sermon or look, listen to it online. I know lots of you like to do that. So listen to it all the way through and let it, let it come to you as a sermon. It takes about 30 or 40 minutes. And what you'll see is that this guy was a good preacher, whoever wrote this book. He was a really good preacher. And um, he knew his Old Testament, and he was committed to Jesus, and he knew what God was doing through the Son. Some people have suggested that this is either Paul or Luke or Barnabas. My favorite is that it's Apollos. Nobody knows who wrote this book. But since Apollos was a good preacher, I'm like, I think he wrote this. And he didn't want to put his name on it because they were arguing over how good he was. But it's a great book, and so I encourage you to listen to it. And it was likely written to the Jews in Rome who were being persecuted, and they were facing a lot of pushback from their secular culture. It was raging, much like ours is today. And so this letter is written to them to encourage them to, to keep going. Don't give up on your Christian commitment. Don't grow apathetic to it. What God is doing is amazing, and it's saying if you can get this, then you will not give up. You'll have exactly what you need to keep going. And I think he's writing to us today, saying if you get what this book is saying about what God has done in Jesus, you'll want nothing more than to follow him, and you'll have exactly what you need to keep going. In fact, you know, the little application section of this sermon at the end of the book of Hebrews for the writer, 13, 20 through 21, this is his prayer to God for those that are listening, that the same God that raised Jesus from the dead would equip and empower us with everything good so that we may be able to live faithfully in the way God has called us 
in our world as we wait for him to come. That's the hope of this author of Hebrews, and that's our hope for us. And so the author of Hebrews, as we heard this morning in chapter 1, is going to show us again, or maybe even for you the first time, who Jesus really is. To shake us up a bit, remind us of how great this Savior is. Because the author knows if you'll encounter Jesus, if you can get who he is, then you will be transformed. This is what real life transformation is about, that we get before God and and we see who he is. and, And by gazing on him, our lives, our hearts are transformed. We want nothing else but him when we get a vision of him. And so Hebrews will teach us that Jesus is greater. He is greater than everything, greater than all things of this world. And I think it's pretty cool as an Old Testament scholar myself. This is written to Jewish believers, and so he's going to go through all the parts of the Old Testament and show you how Jesus both fulfills those things and is greater than what they could have ever have imagined. In fact, he's going to tell us he's the greater word of God, He's the greater priest who made a perfect and better sacrifice in a greater heavenly temple. And he's now administering a better covenant that you want to include yourself in. Right? And because of this, Jesus is worthy of our devotion, our worship, and our lives. And so, what we need to make it as believers in this world has been made known to us and provided for us in the person of Christ And as we see him for who he is, then we will begin to live in the ways God has intended. And so we're going to look at this chapter one here in three parts this morning. One, Jesus is is the greater word of God. Secondly, Jesus is greater than all created things, particularly angels he's going to talk about. And then finally, Jesus is the exalted Messiah that we should give our lives to. So look at this. Jesus is the greater word of God here in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, two of the best verses in the Bible. <clears throat> Starts out, it says, long ago and at many times in many ways, and you might be thinking, are we talking about Star Wars here? Long ago in a galaxy far, far away? But no, he's talking about the sun. Long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, which are the days we are in, he has spoken to us by his son. Now notice this title here. We're going to look at a couple things here. He gives him, Jesus, the title of son. This is one of the most important titles that we get. We're going to get a couple titles in this chapter. Jesus, or Hebrews 1.5 shows us that part of the reason Jesus is going to be greater than everything, why he's the greater word, because God never called anything else his son. In fact, in verse 5, it says, For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. <clears throat> the second part of that verse, he's quoting 2 Samuel seven fourteen, the, the promise given to King David that one day a son would come from his line who would reign forever, and God would treat him and love him as a son. And so the author of Hebrews is telling us that this Jesus is this son. He is the promised one. God has kept his promise. And yet more than that, he's speaking to the deep relationship, the unique relationship between God the Father and Jesus who is his son. 
that he would experience all of God's love in a first-hand way, in a very special way. He would understand the will of God and all that God was doing, and God would include him in what he's doing. He's He's a son. And God is a father to him in all he does. So it's a special title for Christ. And then Hebrews 1.1 goes on to affirm two things for us. First it says, God spoke in times past. Right? So here the author is talking about all the prophets of the Old Testament, all the characters that spoke on God's behalf. He's saying they recorded God's word for us. So the Old Testament is God's word for us. And he says he did it in some really fantastic ways. He did it in many ways. Sometimes he spoke directly with his voice. Sometimes in thunder and lightning. Sometimes in that still small voice of a whisper. He spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. He wrote the Ten Commandments with his very finger, it says. Sometimes angels delivered God's word. Other times prophets ate scrolls and said what God has done, they had dreams and visions, all of God's word. And yet, in these last days, God has spoken through Christ. And he is the greater word of God that he's saying. Saying, you know guys, all that was really great and God spoke, but God has said something new to us in Jesus. And we ought to pay attention in fact, John 1, 1, uh, 1 through 2 and 4, we know this beginning of John is very similar. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and in Him was life. This Word, Jesus, is God's very Word to us, speaking life to us. He is the greater Word of God. Saying God has spoken and is speaking because Jesus is still alive to us in the person of Christ. He is God's climactic word. There's nothing else to say beyond Christ. And it's not just what Jesus said, but it is his whole life. It is what he did. It's how he treated people. It is who he is and it is what he said. Everything about him is God's word to us. You know, I think it's popular today, in fact, increasingly so. We, we don't want religion, but we want spiritual things. And so we want to be spoken to by God or a God or something out there, a higher power that would give us some insight on how to live. Even as Christians, you might go, man, if God would just, if he could just speak to me, if he could just like send me a message so that I knew how to live, even Job was lamenting over the last couple of weeks, could I just talk with God? I just want to speak with Him and hear from Him so I can understand what's going on, that He could lead me and guide me, maybe give me an edge on life. And the author of Hebrews is telling us, if you want to hear from God, then look at Jesus and listen. This is God's Word. This is the greatest Word of God to you. He is it. There's nothing else. There's nowhere else to look. All the things God has ever said, Jesus is the best word of what God has said. So the author is the author of Hebrews is telling us this is the very word of God. And I think the easy application for us is 
if this is the Word of God, then we ought to listen to Jesus, right? In fact, next week as Pastor Kevin jumps into chapter 2, that's, that's exactly what he says. He looked, if this Jesus is who I've just said He is, the very Word of God, then we got to pay closer attention to what He said. That's what Hebrews 2.1 says. Sometimes we're looking for God to do something fantastic, to speak to us. Maybe we want to move on from Jesus. Maybe there's some other deeper things for God to say, and we neglect to see that God, He's already spoken it all to us in Jesus. He says, would you listen to me? In fact, Hebrews 3.7 is going to give us this warning. It says, the Holy Spirit says to us, today if you hear His voice, then do not harden your heart, because He may not speak to you forever. This is Jesus, the Word of God. And so how do we listen to this greater Word of God? We were kind of wrestling with this as a staff this week, and Courtney Rodriguez, she did our devotion this week out of John 15, which talks about just abiding in Jesus, right? Just listening and abiding, abiding and hearing from Jesus. And, and, and so I think there's some easy ways we can do that. One is we just spend time in His Word, right? If Jesus is the Word of God, then we ought to study what He said. Jesus is the Word of God, we ought to study His life and see what it tells us about our life and about God and how we should live. You know, I remember the first time when I really started to hear from God out of His Word. You know, I'd read the Bible some. I'd memorized some verses. But it was about in 2004 that I, I began to set myself to say, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible all the way through. <laughs> right? Some of you have done that. This is a good exercise to do. But as I began to do that, God began to speak to me. Right? His Word began to come alive and it began to shape me. And, and it became exciting and I couldn't get enough of what God was saying to me through Christ. In fact, you know, the whole Bible is actually about Jesus. Jesus tells us this in Luke 24, 25 through 27, and John 5, 39. He says, all the scriptures are about me. So God's climactic word came, and then as we look back at all the rest of the scriptures, we see how all those things are the words of Christ. And so we come to his word expecting to hear the voice of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation it is God's word to us, and it is speaking. Another way we begin to hear the word of God is that we live it out. So Jesus talks about this in John 15. He says, if you love me, you'll, you'll keep my commandments. And if you begin to keep my commandments, you'll understand more about me, and you'll actually experience my love and my joy. And so we, we spend time in his word to hear from him, and then what we hear, we take, and we begin to live it out. And then the third one is really good. We begin to engage with him in a conversation. We learn what he says, and then we come to him in prayer, and we begin to pray the things that he has said to us. Right? Begin this conversation about life and where he's taking you and his promises that he has made. Based on who Jesus is and what he's done, we ask things in accordance with his word. And what you see is that God will be very near to you. His word will be near and in your heart as you engage with his word. So what are you going to do to get time in God's word? What are you going to do to get time before this greater word of God 
so that you can hear what He's saying to you. He is God's Word to us. He is the greater Word of God, and we should listen to Him. But now check this out. The author is going to show us that secondly, Jesus is greater, so He's a greater Word, but He's also greater than all created things here in Hebrews 1, 2 through 4. In fact, in these couple verses, the author says seven things about who and what Jesus is and what He's done. Okay? Particularly, He's going to tell us that He's greater than the angels, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I'll read these again, and then we'll, we'll go through them. So it says, The Son, who's God's greater word, He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance <coughs> and the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds everything by the word of His power. And after making purifications for sins, He, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So let's look at verse 2 right here. God has spoken by His Son, and then He says He's appointed Him the heir of all things, that's one thing, through whom He also created the world. What does it mean when He's the heir of all things? I think Colossians clarifies this for us. Colossians 1.16 says, again, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So whoever thinks they're in charge out there, Jesus created them. And then it says, all things were created through Him and for Him. This is what it means to be the heir of all things, right? That God had a plan to create this world, and this world was for Jesus. He, he owns it all. He, God has given him everything. In fact, the Father created this world in His love for the Son that would exalt Jesus, who would make His name great and known. You want to know what everything's about? It's about exalting Jesus. This is the Father's plan and that Jesus then would take that glory from all of creation and us and He would turn it back and reflect it right back to the Father. This is what the world's about. There's nothing else. Everything in this world is Jesus's, and it's all for Jesus, and it brings Him glory, and it goes right back to the Father. So if that's true, if we're worried about how we're going to make ends meet and provision, and how we're going to make it through this life, who should we turn to? Jesus, He holds it all. But it's also a warning to us not to make this world about ourselves because it's not about us. He's the heir of all things. Furthermore, he said here that Jesus created the world. This is one of the most magnificent mysteries in the Bible, right? John 1, 3, all things were made through him. Without him, there was not anything that was made. Proverbs 8.30 also talks about this, that Jesus is the wisdom of God who is right next to Him as a master workman as, as they created the world together. You know, when you're out there hiking and biking and maybe just driving down I-15, admiring 
the Wasatch Mountains, right? Even, just think about this, everything even that, that is created by man, all of it was created by Jesus. This is our God, our, our Bible repeatedly tells us that God planned it and yet it was through the Son that He created all things. It's all created by Him. Again, when we're facing hardship, then who's there better to turn to? If Jesus created it all, He knows how it all works. If Jesus created it all, He knows how to put the pieces in place to do things in your life. Right? There's no one else to turn to. And furthermore, creating is an activity accredited to God the Father, which here is accredited to Christ and in several other passages. And I want you to see, this is why the early church had to wrestle with the Trinity, right? Because it's saying God the the Father is God and God the Son is doing things like God would do and so He must be God too and so we got to put this together. In fact, the the next verses here in, in verse 3 and 4 The third and fourth things this passage tells us about Jesus make this very clear. Look at this. Verse 3, this is a a great verse. It says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. You could just think on that for about a couple months. Okay. And then He says, oh, and by the way, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. The Bible teaches us that if you want to know what that God is like out there that's invisible and far away and he seems hard to get a hold of, then you look at Jesus. Because he is the radiance of the glory of God. This means he is the, the feeling of the light and the heat that is coming off God that we can experience. God is in the heavens and yet he sent Jesus as a perfect reflection of who He is to us from from a place we could never understand to something in a form we could understand. He is the radiance in the exact imprint of God. Here it's thinking of like a coin being stamped with a likeness of God on it. You know, I love the weather in Utah. Um, You know, in the spring and the the fall, like it can be 20, 30 degrees difference in the shade and the the, the sunlight, right? You can stand and in, in the cloud blows over and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm freezing. And then suddenly the sun pops out and you're like, oh, it feels so good, right? And we know from the heat and the radiance of that sun where it's coming, right? It tells us something about the sun. That's the, our star out there. And in the same way, the Bible is at pains to tell us, look, This person, this son Jesus that came, when you look at him, it tells you about where he emanated from. In fact, John 14, 7, Jesus tells us, says, look, if you know me, then you know the Father. Because everything that the Father is, is everything that I am. He's the exact imprint, the copy, the very nature of God. This means that the way that Jesus loves and teaches and rebukes and heals and leads and the things he says and does, those are the same things God says and does. we got to get this. You know, I love the, the show The Chosen. Who likes the show The Chosen? Okay. Now it has its flaws, and I know some of you don't like it. But this is what I like it for, is that it shows this to us, right? 
it, it, it lets you experience what it must have been like to be with Jesus. Like, can you imagine sitting down with Jesus for a meal? Right? I mean, it's just unthinkable. Could you imagine, like in some of these scenes in The Chosen where some of the disciples are going through some hard things and Jesus is there to speak comfort to you? Or, I mean, can, can you just imagine this? Like going, Jesus comes up and, and gives his disciples a hug because he loves them. The Bible is saying that's the very God of the universe hugging them. That is amazing. Furthermore, it says that he created our world, this Jesus, and he continues to uphold it. Colossians says this as well. Colossians 1, 15, 17, 19 says, look, he's the image of the invisible God, and in him all things hold together. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, the very nature of God dwelling in Christ. This means that Jesus, whether you, whether you like it or not, holds your very life in his hands. Right? Your heart keeps beating because Jesus says so. If he says no, then it stops beating. It can be scary if we don't know him, right? But if we know him and walk with him, there's no greater comfort than my God holds my life in his hand. It also means that there must be more to this world if Jesus continues to let it go on, right? If he's letting you go through something, he must have a purpose because he's upholding it. He could change it at any moment, but he must have something greater in mind in your life than maybe what we can see. He's not done with it yet. In other words, he is the one that can sustain us through the hardest things of life because he's the one that holds life in his hands. We know him, we have nothing to worry about. And as we come to know him more, we know he's out for our good and his glory. And we can hope and trust that he will be faithful to what he said. So where do you need Jesus to carry you? He upholds everything. Stop fighting against him. Chops trying to carry your own life and hand it over to him. And say, will you sustain me too? It says after making purification here in verse 3. For sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels, as the name he inherited is excellent to theirs. Here it talks about Jesus' work on the cross, that he made purifications for our sins. This, this was the primary mission of Christ in coming, to make God known to us, and what the Father and the Son planned is the best way to do that was through the cross. In fact, Romans 13.8 says that he was crucified before the foundations of the world. This was always God's plan A for Christ. God made mankind, and yet in the garden we know that we rebelled against God. We cast him off to run our own lives, to place ourselves in the place of God, and we have run a million directions in our sin and face all the consequences in a broken world. And yet Jesus came to pay the price for our sins so that we could be back in relationship with God. And, and he died the death that we should have died, paying the price for our sins. And, and he went into the tomb only to be raised again where God approves of his sacrifice and seated him in the heavenly throne room of God right next to God the Father himself. And you know what he's doing there? He's praying for us. Romans 8, 34 through 39, it talks about this. It says, 
Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised. He's at the right hand of God. Indeed, He's interceding for us. He's talking to the Father about you. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? And He goes on to say, there's nothing, nothing could separate you from the love of God because He sits at the throne, in the very throne room, interceding for us. This is why the author of Hebrews is saying, guys, we can make it. We can continue. We can be Christians all the way to the end, no matter what the world throws at us, because we have Christ who is for us, and He sits with God on high. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And here it talks about Jesus is then superior to the angels. And some have thought maybe, maybe the, the Christians in Rome had been caught up in some angel worship and they were trying to correct this. But I think it was more likely that angels were highly respected. They were messengers from God and they did great things for God. And so the, the author of Hebrews is showing us if angels are really great, then Jesus is so much greater. And we ought to follow him with our life. In fact, Hebrews 1.7 says this, quoting Psalm 104, He makes angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. But in Hebrews 1.8 it says, But the Son, Jesus, uh, it is said, Your throne, O God, referring to Jesus, is forever and ever. The scepter of His uprightness is the scepter of Your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you beyond your companions. Right? He's saying Jesus is greater than all created things, including angels, because He is God and He does the works of God. I want you to see this. Notice He calls Jesus here God twice. One of the most explicit references that Jesus is God. He says, Your throne, O God, speaking to Jesus. This is why Jesus is greater than all created things, because He is by nature God Himself. Think about that. I hope you're feeling the weight of who Jesus is this morning. And so how do we respond to these things the author has said to us about Jesus? He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the, the glory of God. He's the savior of all things. How should we respond? It's just like we did this morning. Our response should be worship of Him. Right? If He is God and greater than all things, then He is worthy of our worship. Worship is our response to seeing who God is. And as we encounter Jesus and see Him for who He is, it should drive our heart to worship. He's above all things. There's nothing in this world that's worthy of worship. We set up all these little idols for ourselves, right? Our job and our family and things we like to do and our recreation, but there's nothing that compares to Jesus. And that worship is directed for him. In fact, your heart will never be content until you worship Jesus. This is the truth of the scripture. We worship all the stuff they will never satisfy because your heart has been made to worship this person, Jesus. In fact, we see this in Revelation. This is where all the world is going. You were created for worship. Revelation 4:11 and 5:12 through 13 
talks about all of us and all, every created thing being gathered around the throne of God, worshiping, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever and ever. That's where we're going. And we have the opportunity now to begin worshiping him even here as we hope in the future. In fact, I think this is where the author of Hebrews is leading us at the end of chapter 1. We'll look at this third thing. He wants us to see that Jesus is the exalted Messiah that we should give our lives to. Okay, Psalm one or Hebrews one thirteen says this: "Into which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet?'" Here he's quoting Psalm one ten verse one. This is one of the most well known, or would have been the most well known messianic psalms of all the Old Testament that talks about this coming Messiah that will rule and fulfill all God's promises and he's saying this Jesus is that Messiah and he is worthy of our worship he's the one that we've been waiting for and he says when he comes he's going to make all his enemies everyone that's against him his very footstool Philippians 2 9 through 11 says it to us God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him a name that is above every name and at that name every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Hebrews is telling us King Jesus is coming. And when he comes, all people will bow to him. There's no one on this earth that could come against you that one day won't bow a knee to Jesus. And so he's saying, you can keep going, Christians, because know that this Jesus, he's king over everything. He's in control, and he cares about you. In fact, he also will tell us here at the end of Hebrews that not only is this King Jesus coming, but he will rule forever. He talks about the eternality of Christ. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12 in this quote of the Old Testament says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You'll roll them up. They'll be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Jesus will last forever. And one day he's going to cast off this world like dirty laundry. Right? And those that are found in him will be carried on to a new world that he will create where he will reign forever. You want to hold on to something lasting? Right? You want a sure thing through the trials of life? And why not grab a hold of Jesus? He's forever, he's eternal. He is moving all things to these ends. And it begs the question, we look at all these temporary things that we give our life to, what are we going to give our life to? Something that's temporary and that's fading away? Everything in this world's fading away. Or are we going to give it to Christ who is eternal? I remember when God began that process in me or in 2004 when I began to look at all that I was doing saying, what is really worth it in life? Right? Is it all this stuff? Is it work? Is it all these things? And God began to speak to me through his word and said, no, it's about Jesus. Will you give your life to Jesus? Will you follow him 
Because he's worth it. I'll say one one thing here, and Banji can come on up. Notice also here in Hebrews 1.10, we get another title for Jesus. Okay, We've already had a couple. He, he's been the Son of God. He's also said He is God. And here He gets called Lord. This means He is our master and owner. This, this title, Lord, gets at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. That we no longer are our own gods, but rather we take our life and we set down our rule and we put it under the rule of Christ. In fact, this is what Romans 10.9 talks about. To become a Christian, it says, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, you've got to put down your rebellion and come under the rulership of Christ to be saved. And He will be there to meet you. As Hebrews 1.13 quotes Psalm 110, talking about Jesus, the exalted Messiah who will rule in righteousness. Verse 3 in Psalm 110 says something really interesting. It says this, that when this Messiah comes, it says your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. See, when Jesus comes, every knee will bow. But he's already started his kingdom when he came. When he came, he inaugurated his kingdom, and his offer to us is, come and follow me. And for those of us that the Holy Spirit is speaking to, he says, make him Lord. Make him your Lord. Come and follow him, and he'll make you holy, meaning he will cleanse you of your sins, and you'll begin to walk as a holy and follower of him. So we're going to have a time of response this morning. As the band plays, I want you to bow your head in prayer with me. And maybe life's been wearing you out lately, right? Maybe the culture's been coming hard against you. Maybe you've been apathetic to who Jesus is, just life has worn you down. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is this morning. I'm going to take time to get right with Him. In fact, I'm going to say this. If you're here this morning and you want to make Jesus your Lord... I'd ask you just to raise your hand. Go ahead, raise your hand. We'd like like to follow him. Okay, thank you guys. If you want to kind of renew your commitment to Jesus, where you've been apathetic to who he is, this great God that has come to us to speak to us, that is that's going to give us life, would you just raise your hand this morning? Say, God, I want to follow you again. Thank you, guys. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for showing us who your son is. The very nature of yourself, he is Lord. Lord, we come to you now as believers in him, saying we want to make him Lord of our life. We believe that you raised him from the dead. Lord, May you work in our lives so that we can continue the good fight. Keep us committed to Christ, even through all the things of life, because we know who he is. Father, meet us now as we respond to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.